Welcome everyone to this next episode of the Analytic Mind podcast. Really interesting conversation for you in this episode. I spoke with Jamie Beeson and Jamie is based in the US and has had some great experience in building engagement around analytics initiatives within large organizations. So we talked through initially how she got into the analytics space because that wasn't her initial background, but then also how she got some buy-in initially from a large cohort of analytic users or sort or data analysts and, and, and sort of citizen data scientists, I think she calls it, within a, a large organization, got everyone together and uh, everyone went away and, and started bit prototyping and getting a lot more engagement in data initiatives and, and, and data, building out their data culture. And so we talked through you know, a lot of the strategic things that you can do and a lot of the ideas that uh, she's been a part of uh, that have been really successful in making a big impact within organizations. We also evolved into talking about uh, other ways that they built based, you know, based off these prototypes, how they then evolved that into these more immersive data dashboard, like these dashboards and these applications that could be used in for for a variety of different in a variety of different scenarios and in a a range of different business business lines and business scenarios that that she had been dealing with. We, we then rounded off the discussion with some interesting dis, uh, talk around the future of analytics and some of the trends that uh, that she's seeing and and yeah there's some 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 super insights there that you know a really good precursor to what is likely going to happen in the next few years with a lot of the tools and a lot of the change which is going to uh, occur because of the implementation of say predictive analytics or, or AI or you know just just general low code applications that can be built off a lot of the new tools and new suite of applications that can be sort of tied together quite effectively. So let's dive into it. Really enjoyed this discussion. Jamie was super interesting and uh, had some really, really practical insights into how you can successfully build up this high quality engagement in what you are doing around your data culture and your, your data processes, etc. So good one to listen to all the way through. Lots of lots of good takeaways throughout our discussion went, uh, which which went for you know almost close to an hour. So so enjoy it. Uh, look forward to you know hearing your feedback in the comment sections of your favorite uh, podcast player. You know always, always like to read those and uh, also don't forget to subscribe. So plenty of plenty of new content very soon on the Analytic Mind podcast. Okay, take care. Welcome everyone to the Analytic Mind podcast by Enterprise DNA. This is a podcast which dives into a range of different ideas and tips to empowering a data-led culture within organizations. We want you to develop the analytic mind to create immense value for yourself and your teams. Welcome everyone. Welcome to the Analytic Mind podcast. Today I'm with Jamie Beeson. Now, Jamie has a really interesting background in data and analytics, and, and certainly I know has some good stories to unpack around specific initiatives around data and, and analytics within some of the organizations that she's worked in. So why don't we just jump straight into it, Jamie? Why don't you just give us a little bit of an intro, a little bit of a background um, around, you know, maybe, maybe where you've worked um, recently, 
uh, and some of some of the interesting things that you have have been doing, and maybe where you're based as well, so so the listeners know that too. Uh, and then we can just dive into some of the some really interesting things that we 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 just chatted about before we push record here. That I I, um, <laughs> I know will be will be really valuable to to everyone tuning in. All right, sounds good. Can do. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. So my name is Jamie Beeson. My my background has been until very recently exclusively in supply chain in the industrial industry. So I had some time at GE Plastics, which was then purchased by Sabic. The last four years, I was at Ingersoll Rand. Today, I'm at JLL. So at JLL, we're a technology company specializing in corporate real estate. And that is something that I am learning. So I think probably most of what I talk through today will be through the, the lens of Ingersoll Rand and just my my view on things. So I think maybe the most interesting part of my career was the last four years when I was at Ingersoll Rand. So each role I've had, I've had an interest in analytics, mainly just to keep my sanity and automate my way <laughs> through my jobs. When I joined Ingersoll Rand, I came on as an inventory manager and I was leading a team of four, so it was me plus three. And what was interesting about that is that we were responsible for inventory control and speaking to why we had too much or not enough inventory. But what we didn't was the actual purchasing function. So the way the org was was set, there was a purchasing team that would transact and work with vendors. And then my group owned deciding what to stock, what were the reorder triggers, all, all of the, the guts and gore of that. In a nutshell, we did not like our jobs. <laughs> and that's because we were constantly answering, why do you have too much or why do you not have enough of item XYZ? Now, we were sitting at the distribution center, which was Ingersoll Rand's largest DC in North America, highly complex, supporting four different business units, roughly $500 million in revenue per year, over 60,000 active SKUs, $60 million in inventory, very complex, different stocking methods, you name it. So it didn't take the team long to see this pattern that we were answering the same question over and over. So long story short, we brought in Alteryx to automate our way through it. It went so well, we ended up being promoted as a four-pack and then became the analytics and productivity team supporting the full DC. And that's where things really got interesting. So we brought Tableau on from there, ended up winning an internal award called a President's Award in Growth and Innovation, which is a big deal in our circle. So that was fun. Mm -hmm. And, And here today, I'm the senior director for BI and analytics at JLL over one of their larger accounts. So it's right. um, it's been quite the journey in this career to to keep leaning on analytics and process improvement and just see where it takes yeah. us. Awesome. Well, there's 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 plenty that we can jump into there, and I'm I'm excited <laughs> to get into more of the detail around uh, if, if we can the what w- what you did around the inventory piece more more from a sort of yeah. like a high high level. Just before we dive into that. Do you want to give a bit of a, just a little overview of what Ingersoll Rand does? Because they're, from I think, like a, a large conglomerate. Is that right? But not everyone's obviously, you know, from the US and things like that. So not everyone knows all of these huge conglomerates that you sort of never really hear about because they've all got different, you know, pieces, pieces to their puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. So Ingersoll Rand is a massive company and they're behind the scenes. So you might not see them at the store when you're buying a power tool, but they're being used at factories. So Ingersoll Rand produces lots of hoists, wenches, pumps, tools, compressors, a lot. I I think they probably tap maybe every industry out there. They recently merged with Gardner Denver. So now they're even more of a powerhouse. 
I'm trying to think what industry they're not in. They're in automotive, they're in manufacturing, they're in. Mm -hmm. And they're um, global. They're glo they're, 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 mm -hmm. they're, they've got global, global. distribution. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking, right. we're talking billions and billions of revenue here. Mm -hmm. Right. Cool. No, that's good. I mean, that just gives you a, a bit of an outline, bit of a scope of what, what you were probably having to deal with. You know, the, 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 the numbers are probably enormous and initially probably overwhelming, but it seems like mm -hmm. you were, you know, <laughs> by, by, by what you implemented as a solution in your specific area, it sounds like you made some, some really solid inroads. So tell me a little bit about when you first arrived in that sort of role, because I think this is going to be, this is going to be quite common and quite interesting, right? So you, you go into a role and historically not much is being done from a data and analytics perspective. You know, there could be a few reasons for that. Maybe it's the the, the tool set didn't exist because you know, as we probably know, the the tools have really improved uh, over recent years. So you know, a lot of a lot of companies were stuck in Excel or they were just stuck with historic tools that didn't deliver what they needed. So you know, you maybe found yourself in that in that position. So it'd be good to to talk about that. But then, how you assessed as a as a team or as an individual, you know, what needed to be done, and then how you how you, how you sort of went about it. Good question. So I think a few things were happening in tandem. One, I had asked my team to give me one goal. So I wanted them to work together and assign me personally one goal that I was responsible for in that year. And when they did that, they said automation. They said, we were already using a lot of stored procedures and macros and all Excel-based type of automation, but they wanted to level it up. Also in tandem, um, Ingersoll Rand was hosting an analytics summit, which was what it sounds like. It was internal and it was anybody in the BI space or interested in the BI space or have people in their ether that are in the BI space are welcome to come. And it's a few days event and it's all internally curated. We do, we did have some vendors come out, but a lot of the presenters are Ingersoll Rand employees. And I was aware of Alteryx before this, but I had never used it because it wasn't at where in my previous roles. But at the summit, I could tell that this was the internal tool for ETL. And I was like, that's, that's perfect. That's what we need. So there I had my goal and I had my solution, but I didn't have my resources. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it took some asking around and I was able to secure a trial license that was a little bit longer than the standard. I think at that time, Alteryx was offering 90-day trials for Ingersoll, and we got one that was four or five months. It was a little bit longer, which was really important because I think once you get a free trial, it takes you about a month to open the thing because your calendar is slammed, and then it takes you another month to go learn how to even click around a little bit, and then it, three months minimum before even close to the word dangerous. So, but my, my team knew that that deadline was coming. We had a burning platform. So all four of us were equally as jazzed about having this new solution. So what we did was we'd call them learning lock-ins and we would reserve a conference room for a full day. We'd surface for resources like air and food, but we pretty much just bunkered down, used a whiteboard and, and said, before we even opened Alteryx, just said, what are we trying to solve for? And so we mapped it out and we said, okay, what data sources do we need? These are our inputs. What joins do we have? Where do we need to blend our information? Where do we have gaps? Where do we need a subject matter expert? Well, we don't have one. And then from there, it turned into this, like, I've heard some people call them war rooms. That sounds really aggressive, but just like this workshop, mm -hmm. we were all busy bees. So we'd have somebody chasing down data and, and so on and so forth. So we ended up building our first workflow that took, so when somebody asks you, why do you have too much of item ABC. Traditionally in our world, there's about seven questions that you ask and there's generally an order to them. And for one human to step through all that, it's about an hour to be thorough. Our workflow walked every single SKU 
So we had 60,000 active parts and infinitely more non-stocked or inactive and all that kind of stuff, 60,000 stocked parts. The workflow looked at every SKU in the building, said, why do you have too much? And then paraded it out. So it parsed it into buckets. So if you have 100 units too many, the workflow would tell you 20 of those units are because the forecast hasn't yet been achieved. 50 of those units are because you have a minimum purchase requirement, whatever. It would do that to every SKU in less than two minutes, which in the world of Alteryx is really slow. So we even mm -hmm. optimized it later downstream, but, mm -hmm. but that was what we did. So we could put these pages together for leadership, which I used the, re like the next couple of years in that role was saying, you, you want to know why we have too much? We need to solve our minimum purchase issue or our forecast is blah, blah, blah. So because that workflow was so successful, that was how we got our Alteryx licenses officially sponsored. And then mm -hmm. we kind of just took off running from that. Yeah, there's some really good takeaways here from what you've just described there, which I like. And I want to, I think it's worth just sort of repeating them. The, the first thing I liked was how the organization as a whole had a summit. They had an, you had an internal mm -hmm. summit to build engagement. And I think that is a super idea. So if you if you haven't, it's, it's about sort of penciling in an event or or a time in, or a day in people's calendars or, or maybe even a couple of days in people's calendars to, to really drive initiatives in the data and analytics space. You know, may, maybe for a lot of large organizations where everyone's got their day jobs and they've got a lot going on, it's sometimes just too hard to get this, this, this build this sort of wave internally of everyone engaged, like being super engaged in building out your data culture, building out your data initiatives and, and putting a sort of a stake in the ground and saying, okay, we're going to have a summit, we're going to have an event and then maybe a competition mm -hmm. off the back of that is a really solid way, I think, to build that buzz across a wide array of different business functions and business lines, et cetera. So mm -hmm. I, I think that is a super idea. And do you think that that played a a big role in spurring a lot of the the ideas and initiatives that went on post that point? Yeah, what I'm about to say is going to sound very extreme, but I think that summit changed my life. I really do. Because right. you personally, yeah. Be yeah, before that summit, what, so the theme, there were a couple of them, so a couple of years where they did the summit. The theme that year was all around getting people to acknowledge the term citizen data scientist which was a new term for me. So on paper, my background's not in BI and analytics. On paper, I'm a finance and supply chain person, but my, my heart and soul always went out to analytics. And so that summit gave me the right, I could now articulate where my passions lie. I was mm -hmm. now given the license to go and achieve these big BI dreams and goals without having a degree in mathematics or computing. So not only did it, kind of light that fire and give me a green light to go chase it, but it told me what tools people were using. So mm -hmm. I felt weaponized when I left because I was like, oh, there's a there's a playbook in my head now for how for what success looks like. So I got those things. I also achieved a lot of really strong relationships from that. Several people became my mentors over time mm -hmm. that helped guide my future decisions. Like I feel like that summit was where everything sort of started to click into place and cascade from there. It's a big deal. Yeah. No, I, I I just love these small little these small little nuggets that come out of these discussions because it's not it's not just you know if you want to if you want to really make a difference with the analytics initiatives within an organization it's not just about the tools it's not just about the resources it's about these other small things that you can do as an organization that can really spur that can really get things rolling you know it can can really 
start getting the, the impact happening across a wide array, the buy-in happening. And I think that's how you get these sort of exponential returns in the in, in, in building out your culture around data, your culture around analytics. So, you know, I love that idea. I really think that that is that is a, that is a truly powerful one. That that's a lot of a lot of listeners will hopefully get some good ideas for themselves. You know, their 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 own organizations, big or small, right? It's about we know. Yeah, you know, ho- hopefully most listeners are uh, realize the impact you can you can get these days out of implementing a lot of the the ideas and uh, tool sets and 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 strategies. So it's just a, about you know forming a forming a something to sort of kickstart it or you know that, that that's that's a way to certainly do that um i also like the learning lock-in idea as well where again you know you you set you set time aside to prioritize what you're what you're doing because everyone is has their day job everyone has meetings going on and it's it's just like when you set aside you know a training event if you're going to get some training on something you know with your analytics initiatives you should also set aside one or two days where everyone sits in a room and just powers through a workflow powers through how to set up a dashboard having everyone in the room getting everyone's expertise together i'm sure is, uh, was truly valuable in that uh, in that situation and there's there's several schools of thought that all point to that being powerful so agile does something similar uh, mm-hmm. Lean does something similar. They have rapid improvement, Kaizen events. Like it's very powerful when you're able to dedicate your focus to something for more than five minutes, yeah. especially in a collaborative. It was a game changer. And I think the other thing that's interesting to note is that uh, you know I can I can I can I can see some some people thinking, oh, you know, taking two days off my my day job is just going to be too difficult. But the thing is, especially with some of the latest tools like Alteryx and Tableau and Power BI and Flipview and, and all of these these great tools. You can automate so much of what you are probably doing as your day job historically. I mean, running Excel spreadsheets, creating macros. I mean, you can literally like automate so much of that. So if you just take two days of your time, you're probably saving maybe 20 of your the, the next year, uh, you know, because of what you've been able to automate. And and I think you were mentioning earlier that you you were able to take a four person like job down to like half a day for one person or something like that just by just by this one initiative. Yeah, it's true. The the inventory control automation that we put in place was more than just that one workflow. We ended up automating a lot of our department. So mm-hmm. we took four people's worth of full-time work, parsed it down to something close to half a person, shifted that work back into the purchasing team. And that's mm-hmm. where we were promoted as a four pack to go support analytics for the full DC. Wow. And mm-hmm. so you didn't no, no one was worried that they were they were automating themselves out of a job here. You know, it actually worked out really well for you guys. You're able to take a process, which was, you know, you're probably doing a lot of manual stuff, allocate it somewhere else. And then you got off, you're able to go off and do something else interesting. I was fortunate to have the right people on the team that had the mindset mm-hmm. where automation is, is good, where mm-hmm. if we, if we automate our way out of this job, then we just then do this, this new thing. So in yeah. the, in the world of lean, there's, there's seven types of waste, and, and lately they added an eighth. It's my favorite, and it's talent. So they're mm-hmm. formally saying that talent can also be wasted. So if you have somebody with a passion for ETL or a passion for data architecture, engineering, or mathematics, whatever that is, and you've got them acting as a report junkie, refreshing Excel, or chasing, or whatever it is, you are mm-hmm. wasting that resource. So mm-hmm. I was fortunate that I had a team that had a skill set that we were not tapping into. So we were happy to automate our way out of that so that we could go 
do what we really wanted to do and add mm. new ways of value for the for the company. And that's where the innovation award came in because we had the license to innovate and we did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have mentioned this on a, on a, on a couple of earlier podcasts and it'd be interesting to he- hear your take on this. Once you actually dive into the automation and you dive into the analytics that you you can achieve, you you almost start to see this blue ocean of other opportunities, other optimizations that you can make in so many different areas. Like it's it's just almost endless what you can achieve once you actually know what's possible. Agreed. And to, to echo on pausing to learn or develop, I mean, in this particular career set, this, this probably applies to a lot of other careers, but I can speak to this one in particular. If we don't keep learning, we expire. The pace of change is so great that if we don't force ourselves to do learning Mm -hmm. lock-ins or go to training or read that blog or whatever it is, listen to that podcast, then we expire. Yeah, Mm -hmm. things things are changing so fast these days, aren't they? I mean, if you just look at the landscape maybe five, six years ago, I mean, a lot of the stuff didn't really exist in it, or it was just just sort of emerging, very, very initial stages. But now it's the acceleration. Mm -hmm. It really feels like the acceleration is, is is huge. A lot more, a lot more players, a lot more functionality. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more for sure. What I what I what I think would be next good to just elaborate on a little bit is Alteryx. I want to know a little bit more about what you were able to do with Alteryx at a high level. You know what what are this what are the what are the automations that you could do with this tool and what it was able to do better than what you what what had been done historically. So I think the there's a lot of strengths of Alteryx. One of them is the server. So once you create a workflow, you can automate it on the server. So it can run at whatever cadence you set. It can send off emails, files, what have you. Beyond that, you can also make apps. So you can push something to a web page, someone clicks a button and runs a procedure. Even within the ETL space of Alteryx, they've they've done a really nice job of having a drag and drop interface. So for people like me that can kind of read SQL and maybe get like in trouble with it, but aren't true coders, it's mm-hmm. democratized. Is that the word democratized the that's the, buzz, um, that's the buzzword the ETL. I love that. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's very trendy right now. Yeah. It's made it so that people like me that can think that way but can't code can still just be be as lethal as as other folks. So I don't know what Alteryx can't do. I've seen people monetize their workflows. Like it's crazy. You can um, a million different types of inputs and then their blending options are great. You can even pull in geospatial things you can do regex equations you can and the, and it that's the other thing people like is if you are a coder you can still code in there you don't have to do the drag and drop GUI it also has some reporting features i mean it's it's great i've i'm not as fluent in power bi but i did do a one day workshop to just do like a crash course so i can know what's out there and based on the flash that i saw at least alteryx is much more in depth when it comes to etl and like i said server lets you automate as well yeah, obviously, yeah, my 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 expertise is is, is sort of more in the, in the Power BI. That's what we that's what we focus on with the enterprise DNA. But Alteryx has been around for a little bit longer than well, actually, Power BI has been around for a long time, but not in its latest late, latest version. But Alteryx is, from from my understanding, this immensely powerful drag and drop ETL tool where you can bring huge amount, you know, any, any sort of data source sets from, from a range of different data sources all together, mash it up, run some evaluations and calculations and logic, and then 
you know, spit out a refined data set, optimized data set, do potentially some machine learning algorithms or 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 or, or, mm-hmm. or custom functions on the on on the data, and then you can then do something. You can spit out some reports and or or alerts or whatever off the back end. Is that is that kind of right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, I didn't even mention that. You, there's definitely some predictive and prescriptive options in there as well for modeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Power BI does have an equivalent in terms of what they call the Power Query Editor. Uh, and this is actually, you know, a really powerful application that sits in behind Power BI. That is, it's actually quite hidden. It's like the hidden gem of Power BI. And it can do a lot of that. It can do a lot of it. Maybe not all, but it, it is, it, it is, it's, there's probably a lot, a, a bit of overlap, but it is something, you know, for those Power BI listeners out there, you know, the, the query editor is, is, has got a lot of functionality as well that I think maybe it doesn't have, you know, it's, it's not as focused on ETL as probably Alteryx is. But, you know, it, it does have a lot of the functionality there. Because I presume when you use Alteryx, you, you, you also use like Tableau as the visualization tool. Is that, is, that, is that generally how it works? So the way I say it is that Alteryx is the kitchen you cook the food in and Tableau is the plate you serve it on. But you don't right. have to have both, but they really are like peanut butter and jelly. So if, you, mm-hmm. if your end goal is a spreadsheet, or a, a new database is probably a better answer, then mm-hmm. you, you could probably stop at Alteryx. But if you're trying to stand up a visual dashboard or something that your audience can digest and you want to storytell with it and you really want to make it stick and you're trying to walk somebody through this journey, mm-hmm. Tableau is the way to go from what we've seen. And they, they pair well together, right. so their inputs and outputs go well. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Either way, I'll say Power BI included, all three, from what I've seen, have really strong communities that help you learn these tools, and the mm-hmm. tools are designed to have short learning curves. So you can you can go from never heard of it to, hey, I built this thing in one day. Like, it, it's really mm-hmm. impressive. And then you can go as advanced as you want to, and then it gets gets pretty lofty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That's one of the, well, as you said, it's, they, they are democratizing this ability to you know, make such a huge impact, create a lot of value out of sort of data as your your raw commodity or your raw asset. So yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And that's why I think they are having you know that's why they are growing so fast and and why they are having such a such an impact. So m- maybe break down a little bit how you so you 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 built your workflows in in Alteryx and then so how did you distribute it? How did you how did you effectively showcase to the right stakeholders? what you had to you know impact the impact their decision making to you know you know generate that value within the within the organization good question so a lot of it was behind the scenes so there wasn't too much stakeholder engagement on that side because we were just doing our own jobs right and that's that's all they needed however Mm -hmm. the premier workflow that i mentioned earlier around inventory stratification that one Mm -hmm. was easy to publicize so Specifically to Ingersoll Rand, they have standing whiteboards all over the distribution center and their offices. It's the same way. And that's how you report your KPIs. So they have daily, weekly cadences where the teams will huddle around the whiteboard, review their metrics, look for the red, talk about it, so on and so forth. So inventory had its own board. And so there were certain things that we were tracking and we had a whole bunch of Excel printouts, right? This It's like it's so crazy to talk about printing data <laughs> to me, <laughs> but this is what this is the process. So when it came to inventory, when we had this stratification, we could print four different views per bit, one per business unit, and then leaders could walk up to the board and see 
everything they needed to in one snap. And then that would be my platform to brag about what the team had done with our learning walk-ins and how this was our first workflow and how we were so excited about it and, and how it only took like less than two minutes to run this and it stratified every item. Like I would I would get all soapboxy about it on any any time I had the chance. And then eventually when we were promoted, and so I should also say that I had a very strong ally through all of this. So my manager was very strong advocate for analytics and BI. He was also pretty savvy. So he he knew what he was betting on with us. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when he promoted all of us and we brought in Tableau, that's where things started to get really public, I would say. So we had, I won't talk about all of our builds, but some of the cooler ones were um, we had a display that was on a giant TV screen above the picking cell. And for for those that aren't familiar with distribution, pickers literally go pick product off the shelves and then then it will get packed and validated and shipped and things like that. So we had one over the picking cell that it was a Tableau dashboard and each person's little icon was a tiny little fork truck and it would scoot along the screen and it would change colors based on how they were performing to target. And so what we saw when we stood that up One, we ended up changing the metric through that process because we wanted to, I won't go too deep, but we wanted to normalize. So if you pick screws out of a box versus giant compressors off a shelf, like that time is going to be different, right? So we normalized it. We changed their metric and then gamified it so they could see where their fork trucks were on the screen. So when the pickers came to drop off their load, they'd always check. And then this friendly competition ensued, their rates went up, and it was just it was just fun for the whole shop for for that matter. We had another one that was on a tablet and the operator could see on the screen this order is stuck in whatever status. And it would help him find the actual box on the floor that needed to ship today or it would be late and he could see where it was stuck, do whatever transaction. And then in about 15 minutes, the screen would update and it would, you know, progress the the pack through the the ordering flow. So those are both, one's highly visible, one's a little more behind the scenes, but both were readily accepted. And then I'll just give you one more example. In the materials team, yeah, any anybody who's been around a purchasing or a materials team knows that they have a ton of metrics that they're, and by ton, I mean, I think in this example, there were 18 different metrics that they're responsible for in their daily job. So Mm -hmm. the switching costs from one metric and one report to the other I mean, it was killing the team. They couldn't focus on one thing without having to chase down something else. So Mm -hmm. one of our biggest Tableau builds consolidates most of those reports into one dashboard, does some prorating Mm -hmm. so people can see like what things are bubbling to the top based on all of the metrics. And so I'll just say that the the one in the materials department was very visible. It also had a screen above the, the area. So sometimes we would show certain certain things, but the team itself was able to go into one workbook and do their roles. And whenever they needed to jump to something tactical like an Excel sheet or a SharePoint site, there's a hot link that would take them to it. So that one completely revolutionized that area as well and helped yeah. them not die from switching costs. Yeah. Well, what, I, what I like, what I really love about the, 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 these examples and the, and the, sto- the stories here are that, and this is, this is just, just great takeaways for, for others that it really started with one prototype, right? Like uh, this this initial prototyping really built the buzz. And then all of a sudden you've got these four, you know, just, I mean, I'm sure you've got more examples, but you've just, just, just spoken of four great examples of where 
the analytics initiatives are have really started to pay off in a in a in a very commercial way and it all just started small right and you know you don't because i think you can get paralyzed by how big the opportunity is how much there is to do right and it's sometimes all about just breaking it down into you know one thing first getting that nailed and then moving on to the next thing and then you're getting more engagement and then that just balloons and you get this much wider um, buy-in from everyone else so i really i really like how to hear how things had evolved and evolved quite quickly by the sounds of it as well. Mm-hmm. I um, You're spot on. That's powerful. I, I coach my team and any, anybody who will listen that we don't need to go from okay to great. We need to go from okay to good and then from good to better and better to great and so on. So yeah. I view all of life as iterative. So we did a thing, we learned a thing, we did a thing, we learned a thing. Mm-hmm. And to that point, we also brought in Agile in the last year. So on that team, as we were standing up these dashboards for the first time, we were also bringing in Agile for the first time. And Mm -hmm. it too was iterative. We started old school. I had a coach who was walking us through this progression, but we started with index cards on a whiteboard with a a magnetic clip. And then Mm -hmm. it evolved and we were fully online doing two-week sprints and having retrospectives and um, turning our cards into story points and all kinds of things. And I say that because doing Agile let us one partner with our customers more but two it let us give iterative releases so we could meet with them each week whatever that cadence needed to be and say here's what we're building is this are we on the right track and we could get their feedback and evolve it as we were going instead of guessing toward the end and thinking we made great and we completely missed the boat yeah that's another another great great insight one of one of the other things i wanted to get your feedback on the, the, the next thing I just want to dive into and get and get your perspective on is uh, it's it's really like a, a a a huge trend that 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 I believe is is happening out there. I kind of get the feeling that you're you've seen it as well. So that's why I want to get your your view is that we're moving into this this world this paradigm where there's this we, we've got this more um, we're going to be more immersed this immersion in data this immersion in insights and and why I I kind of see see it from the stories that you've gone into is that you know the the, the you know you, you you were putting all the key metrics on a board every day you know you were putting a dashboard in front of the the pickers you were putting a dashboard in the hands of someone on a, on a tablet walking around the warehouse you know you, there's just this more immersion you know historically you might get a printout or you might get something in your email it's, it's you're just so much more immersed in it and so I wanted to see what you think about that and if you see that too. Yes, I do. I, I think analytics is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's in your face. I mean, just look at COVID, right? Data is how we're talking about numbers and risks and trends and populations and, and you name it. Mm-hmm. I think where people need to lean in is if, if you're the one building, I mentioned a trail of bodies earlier, I think. when If you're the one building things, don't have a trail of bodies behind you. Focus on change management. Take the time to explain the why and bring your customer with you. If in these examples I've given, if all we had to do was build something and release it into the wild, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd have a hundred things to talk through. But I gave you like three or four <laughs> because we were changing the way people do work. We were improving and increasing their data literacy. I think people take for granted as a builder that they're data literate, so they assume everybody else is, and that's that's not true. And then as somebody who's who's receiving these things, so not the builder, but the ingester, the consumer, give give yourself the space to fail 
So there's an acronym I really quite like. I learned it at Ingersoll Rand. Fail is first attempt in learning. So give yourself the space to be data illiterate and to ask the questions that you think are silly. They're not. An analyst is going to love answering them for you. They, The people with that mentality thrive off helping others and answering questions. So you're not going to look dumb. They're going to be excited that you're trying. <laughs> so I would say as a consumer, try to leave some space for yourself to learn this new world that we're all trying to figure out together. Do, do you have any tips for, for, for teams and organizations trying to lift the data literacy of, of everyone? Good question. I do not have a silver bullet. I think it comes down to partnering on the ground level. But you also need a leader at the top driving a strategy, and then in the middle is where the answer is. So mm -hmm. in my old world where we were working with operators and our customers and building things alongside of them and answering their questions and setting up trainings and, and all of that groundwork change management, you can't skip that. I don't know how you would possibly fast track that with, without burning people in the process. But at the same time, you need somebody at the top driving a strategy, sponsoring things. BI is not cheap. It's cheaper than global ERP systems, which I think is why BI is so popular. Instead of trying to roll out one system that's integrated globally with all things, you put BI as the hub in the middle and it connects to all the spokes, right? It's more nimble, hmm. uh, more affordable, more scalable. So the, yeah, so those are my thoughts. You, you definitely need somebody at the top that's driving the... I like to call it the Polaris. Like, what's the North Star that we're all working toward? Are we all in the same canoe? <laughs> yeah. No, look, I, I, I really agree with that. And um, you, you definitely get this, you know, when I was working in some large organizations, you, a lot of the executive level themselves aren't totally data literate. So, you know, you, you do have to do some convincing there, you know, because they, they, they haven't really... In, in a lot of cases, because they're older, they haven't really lived in this this world of these tools and and what's possible, et cetera. So, you know, there's there's almost some selling and marketing that you've got to do internally to to showcase the value. Usually, what I've found historically, and, and it'd be interesting to see if you found this as well. If you can put a a fancy dashboard in front of someone that enables enables them to really drill down into some insight that they've never seen before, that usually is a wow moment and 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 gets a lot of a lot of buy-in then and there. Agreed. With one caveat, it has to be something that doesn't surprise them too much because part of what you're solving for is trust. So at mm -hmm. the high level, they're on the hook if something goes wrong and mm -hmm. you're feeding them this new thing and they can't see behind the scenes anymore. It's not an Excel sheet mm -hmm. with formulas they can see. So mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> there is a lot to be gained when they have that first aha moment, but you mm -hmm. don't want it too shocking to where they want to poke holes in it and don't trust what you're showing them. Yeah, that's a good one because uh, you also don't want to show them something that isn't uh, <laughs> isn't positive. <laughs> that's another that's a, right. that's another uh, the one that can catch you out. You usually start with some sort of positive insight that showcases how much you're going to increase profitability or something like that. Something rosy, yeah. Something safe. <laughs> something that's more of like a proof of concept. <laughs> See, this is what we could do. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I don't mean that to insult the higher ups. If I were in their shoes, I'd yeah. be the, I'd feel the same way. We, um, yeah. in, in a past role, they tried to roll out this. I don't want to get too detailed, but they tried to roll something out yeah. I didn't agree with because I didn't understand how it worked. And mm -hmm. I became the one that they had to sell. And by sell, I mean, make me understand. Like, I refused to sign off on a black box. I'm not putting mm -hmm. my name on something I don't understand. 
And and these leaders feel the same way. They want to know how it's made and they want to know that they can trust it. And they might be on the hook to articulate it too, which I imagine would be quite mm. terrifying if you weren't in the room building these things and now you have to explain where it came from. So mm. Mm. I see why they'd be a little hesitant. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's a really, really good insight. Well, uh, why, why don't we just dive just to, just to round off the, the episode? Because, I mean, there's been some great stuff um, we've talked about. So so I've, I've been loving um, sort of hearing your perspective on many things. What, um, so you've moved to a new organization and I presume you're, 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 you're dealing with different, a different scenario, but you're trying to implement a lot of the expertise um, into this new area. So do you maybe want to just touch on that a little bit and maybe some of the interesting high level things that you're doing, doing there? Absolutely. So I'll tell you, I wasn't looking to leave. I know people say that and, that, and that's what happened to me. I was scooped up because this job was too too good to be true. It's exactly what I wanted to do. And that's because that thing I articulated a second ago around you need grassroots and you need leadership, that's what JLL is doing. They have a global business intelligence center of excellence, so BICOE, that works with all of the accounts to stand things up that are, you know, best practices, standardization, knowledge sharing, talent sharing. So the way JLL works is different companies will hire them to do their corporate real estate items, which could be purchasing land, helping with their leasing agreements, facilities management, everything from construction to huge mega sales and everything in between. I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. You were talking um, oh, about no. how, you're, how you're working it's with back customers. Now. And, yeah. It's back now. So JLL has all of these accounts, which can feel very isolated and siloed. So this new COE is meant to be that glue and create cohesion. So you could have one account that's making dashboards that solve for these questions this particular client is asking. And you could have another team doing the same exact thing unbeknownst to each other. So JLL is getting pretty smart and they're trying to put all that together. Obviously not sharing information from client to client, but more sanitized dashboards. Here's the overall metric they're trying to solve for. Here's what it looks like. Here's our color palette. And then I was referencing talent when I lost my train of thought. So the COE is also making it so that between accounts, if people want to grow their career or go learn a different service line, they can, they don't have to leave the company. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's solving for a lot of the problems I was quickly seeing in my old roles around analytics and BI and setting this grand strategy. So far from what I've seen, JLL is is doing it correctly. Mm, that's great. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of things there that's quite interesting. One is, I think, and this is probably similar to many organizations, there's, there's a lot of duplicate effort because of these sort of silos that everyone's been in, you know, and that is a function of, of a few things, I think. And, and one of one of those being just you know tools, the tools just weren't there the tool the tools that wasn't there the, the 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 suite of tools wasn't available. But I think the other thing that I really like as well is that you know the organization it sounds like the JLL has has recognised that having some sort of central authority, some sort of central governance around this really impactful strategy uh, around analytics is the way to go. And so, is this is this a recent phenomenon? Do you think, or 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 has have, have it, they had this in the works for years? It's new. So the yeah. person I backfilled used to report into the account, mm-hmm. and now I report into the COE. So I dotted line into the account. I'm still responsible mm-hmm. for standing up BI on our account, 
but I, mm-hmm. I solid line into the COE, which I think based on what I've seen is the next brilliant move to make. We reserve the right to be smarter a couple of years from now than we are today. But I think mm-hmm. this is the best strategy to, to test out for now is to create mm-hmm. that cohesion. Mm-hmm. Great. And with the COE, are you, do you feel like the, 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 that they are the, they're going to be the coordinators of a lot of these initiatives that you've, you've, we've, we've discussed in, in, in today's call, like creating, ev- creating events, probably, probably virtual events right now. Also, you know, finding ways to get everyone more data literate, you know, is, is, is that going to be, uh, you know, getting, getting the communication and the requirements from the all, all areas of the business, you know, sort of centralized in, in, in one location. Is that, do you, do you sort of see the same things happening? At, uh, at at JLL with this with this current setup, yeah, I see that as a large role of the COE, but there's also just acting as conduits, I guess, funneling information from one place to another. So, for example, I'm new, so I mm-hmm. I'll go out to the COE and say, hey, what are you guys using for data dictionaries? We're using for wireframing and blah blah blah, and we can mm-hmm. we can talk shop and figure out what works. So, yeah, I definitely see that being extremely helpful. <laughs> Cool. Interesting. You, you mentioned data dictionaries and, and, and wireframing. What, what are there some tools that you're using already on those? Because that's I think that's quite quite a unique, oh, sort of a, a niche area of you know setting up your or planning out your 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 dashboards or your your reports, etc. Yeah, I think having a robust data dictionary with full schema and lineage is like the, the grand dream and we're not there <laughs> we have something it's better than nothing it, mm-hmm. it needs to be evolved and i think so in a perfect world you would use the data dictionary before during and after a build and mm-hmm. that's not how we're using it today and that's where i see us getting to in in terms of wireframing i know that that's not what we're using that's why i'm asking the coe what are you using because mm-hmm. we need it because it especially working remote right now i mean a whiteboard is one thing, but it's not the full extent of a, a semi-functional wireframe where you can put that in front of the customer and say, here's what I heard. And even if you completely nail it, and this is exactly what the customer said, the customer is going to now want something new because they have a new aha from this thing that they built. That's the beauty of Agile. You allow the customer to change a little bit. You know, you don't want too much scope creep. But So that's what we're looking at bringing, bringing on. There's a few that we're looking at, but I'm too green in any of them to vouch for which one we're going after. <laughs> right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Well, we've gone for for our sort of a lot of time. I mean, I'm, I, we we could talk for, for for much longer. I feel. I mean, this is, there's so many so many interesting things that we've discussed today. One one thing I think would be good to just to round things off with a sort of final question. Where where is there any sort of unique things, uh, unique insights you have of of where things are going in this space? You know how. How different do you think that, um, yeah, the, the, the a COE's a COE would look, or or an analytics initiatives will look in maybe two, three, five years time? You know, th- things are happening so fast as we've discussed. So you know, it'd be interesting to see wh- where you think things things might be going. Good question. They're definitely going in the predictive space. So there's a race mm. to see who can peek around the corners first. And then mm. to that tune, there's a race to see who can stand up software that lets citizen data scientists stand up models. I have played with a few different ones. I don't want to speak to any of them because, again, I'm too green to say which I preferred and why. But it's <laughs> the only thing I can say is that it's not as simple as it sounds. So 
making your first workflow is one thing. Making your first predictive model that you'd put your own paycheck on is something else. But that's definitely a large trend is figuring out how to start to predict the future and then using AI. So there's this this fun thing we're playing with. It's called iQuant. And it is an AI reader that you can pull a dashboard through and it will mimic human eye movement and tell you where your dashboard is too cluttered, where it's clear and so on and so forth. And it's wow. really neat. So I think, That's cool. I know it's, it's, it's turning into this meta thing where BI is being used on BI. <laughs> so we're like self-improving this, this ecosystem. Mm. And, I, and I, I mentioned earlier, I, I see BI as being the hub for large costly software rollout. So instead of having a global platform that by the time you plugged it all together, half of it's expired, half of it doesn't work and parts of it aren't flexible enough. Like that's mm. what we've seen traditionally. Mm. I think BI can be that space in between that is nimble and you can stay on whatever software you're using for purchasing or whatever logistics, doesn't yeah. matter. Mm. But you also have the, the human in the middle that's putting it all together. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the war on talent becomes because on one side, the need and desire for BI is growing very, very quickly. But on the other side, embracing terms like citizen data scientists are pulling people like me out of the woodwork that we didn't know this was our passion. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up until I heard that word. And then I was like, oh, now I know. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see what surfaces as people as people find their calling and as platforms help with the democratization of this journey. Yeah. No, those are all, those are all great insights. I think the war, the war, the war on talent is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a great one. And I think you're right. There's, I mean, you just think about how there's, I mean, like, uh, sometimes I read there's maybe 200 million Excel users or something like that. I mean, so many of those Excel users, historic Excel users or similar tools, you know, the, the, they've got the ability, the, they've got the, usually the intellectual curiosity to evolve um, and learn one of these other tools, I think. So I think, I think that there's, there's a lot of hidden data scientists out there that just don't, just don't know it yet. They just don't know what's possible. So I think that's quite exciting. One of the, one of the other things uh, that I, I think I'll, I'll add to what, what you said is I, I feel like um, and, it, and it sort of goes, you know, it goes alongside what, what you mentioned. I think the one of the big things we'll see is that there'll be a lot of automation in the tools themselves to actually run the analysis. So it's uh, it won't be as you know, it's it, a lot of it is automated now in, in all the tools, you know, Power BI, Tableau, etc. But I think it's going to be even more more so. Like uh, it'll be a, a even more low touch like a lot of the maybe analytical patterns or like type of insights, there could just be a lot more automation. Like you just literally plug in the data into sort of like a template and then it, and then it just sort of creates the dashboard for you. Maybe using iQuant instead of evaluating, maybe it, evaluating what you've done, maybe it just does it for you. Um, so I think that's, that's quite exciting. But I also think one of the other the big trends is, is sort of, they call it this no code movement. And I think where, where software and you know, even even dashboards were, were historically expensive and hard to create. They're, it's just becoming so easy to create apps. It's becoming so easy to create dashboards. You know, so you know, I think that's just going to continue more and more. So so maybe that you know, we're we're basically basically saying the same thing, right? Just using using some different terminology. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch how it unfolds. I mean, when I went to college, if 
data science had been path. I, I don't even know if I would have done it because I didn't even know what data science was, but I don't even think it existed. And that's why I went through the finance and supply chain route. And yeah. I just think that we're all getting smarter every day. And so colleges are getting smarter and platforms and certifications and networking and, and all that. It's going to be, it's going to be fun to see how it continues to evolve. It's going to happen quickly and it's going to keep happening quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think staying current, staying on top of things um, is, is, is going to be a strong attribute of, of, of any employee or, you know, anyone who wants to stay, stay relevant really, isn't it? Um, I think, I think that's going to be a must going forward just with the speed in which things are changing. But one, one of the other things that, you know, very last point, I think all of the, all of the, the, the world of opportunity, the world of optimizations, the, 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 the predictions that you can do within organizations, they, that, that, that world has grown exponentially as well. And so we're still only starting to see, I feel, what can be done, the value that can be generated from, from, from these new tools. You know? so, so there's, there's still just this ginormous opportunity out there for anyone who, who wants to get into this area who wants to make a difference within their team or within the organization. I mean, it is, it is, it is huge. It's just, we're, 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 okay. we're five to 10% of what's possible. Oh yeah. And it's at face value, it's very intimidating. So for those on the outside that are curious, but haven't dipped a toe into seeing if you're a potential citizen data scientist, it's mm. very intimidating, but I, I promise it's not that bad. <laughs> It's not this, this community. When I went to that summit, I felt like I had found my people, like the, the energy in the room was just like my vibe. Like this is, I found my herd, you know, (laughs) the, the type of personalities that you'll work with in this career, just, they have a a passion for knowledge and they like Mm. being a geek (laughs) and they'll try to out nerd you. (laughs) And it's, Mm. it's just a fun space to be in because everybody's trying to make the world a better place in their own way either through automation mm. or through training or through dashboarding, you name it. So it's, mm. it's a very rewarding career and it's, it, it has tangible deliverables. So when you, you build something and you surface it, I mean, it impacts people's lives and it's, it's a very rewarding career. I like it. Yeah. I, lo- I, lo- I just love that summit idea. It's actually given me ideas for, for, for what we do. I think maybe there's, you know, not, not all organizations have the resources and the, the ability to put these things on and, and there's so much value in it, you know. Maybe there's a plug-in solution for this for this thing, you know, to, to build up a, a summit and, and engagement with an organization. So it's a super idea. I love it. Well, why don't we round things off there, Jamie? This has been this has been awesome. Really great discussion, and have really enjoyed uh, learning a bit more about um, your background and, and and what you've done and where you've come from. And uh, it's great to see, you know, great to see that you're making a huge impact in this space and in the areas that you've been working in. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Okay, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. It's been great to have you on this on this particular episode. Don't forget to subscribe um, to the podcast channel on whatever app you like to listen to things on. Lots of lots of great episodes cu- coming out. Lots of really interesting people like Jamie coming onto the podcast. So really, uh, really keen to get those into your ears as uh, as soon as they're released. Okay, everyone. Thanks again. Take care. Thanks for tuning in everyone. It's great to be connected and I hope you are enjoying the content we're creating through the Analytic Mind podcast. If you enjoyed this session, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of each episode as we release them. 
If you want to learn more about Enterprise DNA and the many initiatives we're working on, check out www.enterprisedna.co. There we have a range of resources to download, events to attend, and information to explore. We're leading the charge around this new paradigm we're living in, where tools like Power BI can literally change how an organization manages, analyzes, and distributes insights that can make an impact. It's an exciting moment in the analytics space. So glad that you're on this journey with us. Take care.